Okay, so let me ask you a question. What do you get when you combine a brand consultation with happy hour? The Be Meaningful Podcast, an unrehearsed, unscripted, lively conversation about a real brand in real time. With us, the founders of Meaningful, an agency that helps brands find a meaningful place in the world. Okay, let's dive in. So when we had Matt Cornell on uh, the last podcast, we were going to talk to him about cryptocurrency and blockchain, and that was not nearly enough time uh, mm-hmm. to cover the subject, let alone get the NFTs. So he's back, and we're going to talk about NFTs and probably a whole bunch of other things. Um, <laughs> so the sooner we get started, the better. Let's do it. Okay. Hey, guys. Oh, Mr. Cornell. We're here. We're ready. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm ready, ready for all this. So we, we had you we had you on another podcast to talk about uh, the mysterious dark metaverse of cryptocurrency and blockchain. And we barely scratched the surface, but it was it was fun, at least we for got us. really good at the end. Yeah. Yeah. For, for brands. Yeah. Yeah. And we were, yeah, we basically were, we're trying to look at it through the eyes of uh, a branding professional. Um, Cause if I try to understand it, uh, my head's going to explode. Um, and you do a great job uh, describing it and teaching it. Um, so I'm going to lean on you to do a similar thing with NFT, non-fungible tokens. Yes. Somewhere in this little teaching experience, you have to explain to us why you even know NFTs and what you do in that category. So, right. Um, brief history. NFTs sort of started gaining traction in 2017, um, sort of the same time as Ethereum. Ethereum did its launch in 2016. And Ethereum allowed people to have multiple, to, to essentially program on chain, which is great. Mm-hmm. You could program money. So rather than Bitcoin, which is very like A to B kind of stuff, you could do a lot more with it. Um, and so you started having rule sets be defined on what certain tokens could do. ERC20s mm-hmm. would be like the regular tokens that you think about. Right. And then you have ERC 721s and the number really just tells you what rules those tokens fall. I'm going to keep it that simple Mm -hmm. and we'll move on from that. You are true in the sense that these are the, these do represent artwork, but they are very much transferable tokens, which is what allows the the 721s, which is what we're going to be talking about mainly um, to transfer from one thing to another. 721s are inherently unique. 1155s, which will be another type of NFT, are you can have identicals. 1155s are also a lot cheaper to transfer, just gas-wise. And there's a whole bunch of law stuff. So I'm going to ignore the rules, and we'll talk about 721s, because what people are doing is there's two types of ways to make that artwork display. There's something called the Interplanetary File Service, IPFS, which is really cool. Uh, a lot of people could call it like the distributed web. So mm-hmm. right now the biggest threat, or not maybe not the biggest threat, because whatever, blockchain doesn't care what rules you make in your silly country. Like it's just gonna do whatever it wants. Um, 
the IPFS is really cool because it's a distributed file server across the globe. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you upload, like, so let's say that you're service provider. Let's say they decide that like, oh, the government's leaning on us too much. We're going to block all traffic to like certain websites, right? Like decentralized exchanges or places that people go to swap like their tokens. Mm -hmm. You can upload that same website to the IPFS and you can essentially still interact with it if, if like some major company decides to like block it, which is super rad. So it's a censorship resistant sort of thing. Um, Uh You upload the files to the IPFS and it locks there. And those files are connected to the ERC 721 tokens, your NFTs. And so when you see like a picture of an NFT, it's reading metadata from this thing. So it'll be around for as long as people have the IPFS running and as long as the blockchain is going, which is pretty cool. And that means that yes, it is artwork, but also a token. So, I, so you're kind of explaining why the word token is in there, even mm-hmm. though it's, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So it's not just the picture. It actually is the token that represents the ownership of that picture. Right. And that, that's what makes it immutable and irrefutably yours. Because right? even the, if somebody right clicks saves as and they have your thing, right. they can't sell it because they can't transfer that picture. They could make prints of it, I guess. And then you okay. would have to get like a small claims lawyer to be like, hey, that's my token. And they're selling prints of that thing. We're going to sue them. So, so, so the token, yeah, I think you explained the question that I was just on the tip of my tongue. Uh, the token is the authenticity because um, everything else is just a copy or a clone. And, yeah. and the token says, no, this is the, this is the original digital it's just funny because digital is inherently clonable so that's yeah well yeah. i mean so mm-hmm. everything comes from a contract right so right we'll talk about more specific stuff i was going to mention the second way that files are represented and that's sort of like th- th- there's a lot of big projects out there the ones that yeah. you're going to hear the most of the ones that are owned by famous people and visa and like all that you're probably yeah. going to be looking more towards like um punks yeah which is like an 8-bit profile picture mm-hmm. membership essentially and then you're going to be looking at board Ape yacht club like those two are still fairly big there's some other projects that are i don't want to call them real art because art is subjective right so it's sort of no. like more high high art maybe <laughs> like would be what you would call it um right. and you see different like pensions for different types of artwork in this space like the ones that are generatively derived like the ones that actually use code to make artwork and you see those going for just like hundreds of ETH like which is a lot of money but we'll talk about the ones with like pictures so punks are derived on chain all of their data is stored on chain Mm -hmm. and what that means is they basically that's why it's all 8-bitty right because you can create a PNG and you can transfer it to a base 64 string, and then you can upload that string on chain. And so that those ones are typically valued more, even though the artwork is super 8-bit, 16-bit resolution, mm-hmm. because yeah. you you are only relying on that ecosystem chain and not on the IPFS. So it makes it like 
more crypto, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is, yeah. What I wanted to talk to you guys about, since you're all into branding, is that a lot of these non-fungible tokens are inherently just straight up branding. When we're talking about yeah. what is crypto's brand before, that's a really big yeah. umbrella. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about where brand really shines in crypto, look mm-hmm. no further than the NFT space. Now, there's a okay. lot you can do with the NFT token, which has been made popular by pictures, but those pictures, man, like it represent exclusive ownership and membership to like this club. And when, when they sell out of all of their pictures and then they get aftermarket sales and now you've got famous people like Stephen Curry. Yeah, Steph Curry. Curry. Yeah. yeah, Steph Curry. He owns a board API club. You have Visa owning a punk as an investment. Yeah. And it yeah. was like each of these people were paying like minimum 200,000 plus for this token, right? And so it's like, in, it, it's crazy because like the more expensive punks, the more rare ones, because they've all got attributes and there's, there's only going to be this many ever. And this one is going to have the, you know, the, the top 1% of rarities and all that. And you buy them and, and people place value on them. The punk thing is a theme. And mm-hmm. every once in a while, a new iteration of that comes out. Is, right. that, is that centrally created or can anybody contribute a punk version? Well, so- Because it has the same base. It has the same 8-bit base. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. So like, <clears throat> there's some controversy here. You've kind of like hit on like some current trending yeah. stuff because there's right. something out there called funks, P-H-U-N-K. And all they did was download all of the, or take all of the same traits of punks and all of the punks face one direction and funks decided to flip the image and have them face the other direction. Uh, mm. And funks launched as sort of a commentary on what punks had become because they were like this really exclusive, this really top tier, this really whatever. And originally they launched just sort of as like a, I, I would say probably as like a cash grab and then the community sort of took it over and made it a counterculture thing, which crypto punks were originally supposed to be. This was all on-chain stored data profile pictures. If you owned one of these, people knew that you were like an OG, right? Mm-hmm. And so funks kind of came around because punks started getting all kinds of like, I don't know, up there, right? Yeah, like yeah. Out, of, out of reach of the common man and, yeah, and different yeah. things. It's, it, and it so, started weirdly by its success becoming in opposition to what was happening. And it would have been fine, except that punks then tried to sue funks. And we were like, based on what country are you suing? What laws are you that's suing so them funny. over? Like, that's, that's what this funny. is. Like, somebody could go out and copy all of the board ape pictures and flip them the other direction and then launch. But nobody's going to give it any value because it wasn't the original contract. And so, so Funks sort of did this thing and everybody was like boo-hoo on Funks, but nobody really cared until Punks tried to sue them, which is inherently like opposite to right. what this <laughs> is all about. Yeah. Right. And so right. now right. Punks are, you know, they're uh, 40, I think I saw one sell for like 42 ETH the other day, which is like $160,000. And these were like cheap, not two months ago, you know? But people mm-hmm. have like sort of taken up that as a rallying cry of like, you know, fuck you, you're doing it wrong.
there's two things that you said that were I, I think that were very interesting that kind of sparked a thought in my mind. The first thing you said was the community came in, something along the community entering. What is that? What do you mean by that? Dive into that a little bit more. Uh, yeah, so there are some times when like the original developers of a project decide to leave. And because so much of the value in the crypto space is based on the people who give it value, right? The community around why this has value. So the community sort of comes in and I guess you would call it rebrands, right? You get yeah. enough people and you do enough preaching about why this is valuable and people start to buy into it. And the next thing you know, you've got a movement because your, your ecosystem is now supporting you. The price then goes up and you've got moderators on Discord and Telegram and all of these people that sort of start to become your core team um, behind it. But all mm -hmm. of it's decentralized organizations called mm -hmm. DAOs, right? So people are coming in and offering work where they can offer work, but nobody's really like assigning tasks or roles or anything like that. It's people who are like, honestly, like, I mean, this is so like, I don't know, millennial and post-millennial generation stuff where it's like, there's no commitment anywhere, but people give, people give work, like they give work and like, it's all autonomous on here, right? So a developer yeah. that launches a thing, once it's launched, you can't really make it's, any changes to yeah, that contract. It's so it's, it's there. So when you launch a contract and you have this contract specifically for minting new to like new artwork, new ERC 721 NFTs, right? This contract is what spits them out. Imagine you've made a vending machine. And inside uh -huh. that vending machine uh -huh. are all of your artwork tokens and people come yeah. up, they put money in, they, they push mint and it prints you out this thing that you then keep in your wallet forever, right? Got it. That vending machine is your contract. And so when you go to a secondary market like OpenSea or Rarible, which is where I would say 100% of all of the NFT sales go after market, mm -hmm. um, or sorry, after that, this is the secondary marketplace. This is your eBay for NFTs, right? Um, mm -hmm. They go there and when you sell them, they're all categorized by the contract they came out of. So they're a part of a collection. Mm, okay. And so you don't ever have like, you don't ever have a punk that's in a separate contract unless it's been rebranded something else. Got and it. punks have had derivative punks like all over because there's a bunch of blockchains. Right. So there are a bunch of people that decide like, oh, let's do a cash grab and go to this blockchain and have punks and this blockchain and have punks and like it's all this stuff, right? And, and a lot of those times, like those derivative projects, they don't really go really anywhere, right? Um, I think a lot of the famous people are buying in for the clout that it gives you. It gives you a certain amount of relevancy with the next generation or your current generation whatever you are and it buys you that for really cheap like if you own a board ape yacht club you're going to get ten thousand followers just from owning a board ape because people will follow you if you have one and it's verifiable in your it's like you know, it's like and it's so well that's what i'm saying it's like it's like this next generation of uh, the twitter verification check it's like pretty decentralized much. decentralized I mean, legit status yeah, like, you know, at the, at the point where Post Malone's got a board ape 
you know, and like you've got Will Ferrell owns a board ape, and like you know, some of that is like okay, it, it puts you into this exclusive group that are associating with these people, but it also puts those people in a in an influential capacity to this to this category. It begs a question: if it's inevitable, meaning unavoidable, mm-hmm. that everything will trend and then through its through the very nature of trending it will become no longer cool or attractive and so it's this it's this constant herd you know sh- shuffling to the next trending thing i mean i mean if if visa owns it and adidas is involved although what they're doing looks pretty cool um and somebody stupid, you know, like Purina or Taco Bell says, hey, we're going to do an NFT. It's like, all right, you're kind of ruining the party. We're going to move on. Yeah. So <clears throat> this is actually a bit of a controversy that's trending right now on CT, which anytime you see CT it just means crypto Twitter. That's it. I mean, that's like um, me showing up at the dorm yeah. party. Like, hey, no, that's not true. See, Brian, <laughs> like I, there's a lot that I learned from you. Like you have relevance because of your knowledge, but it's when somebody comes into the scene with no knowledge claiming that they do that everyone starts to get pissed because pepsi just joined the party budweiser's joined the party on the nft thing they've all launched their 10k whatever and then you have like friggin facebook's meta twitter having these super weirdly staged conversations with pepsi and budweiser being like hey welcome to the party like you know and like using all of our lingo and we're like you guys are the reason that we are doing this. Like, get the fuck out of our yeah. chat. Like, but you know, at the same time, like if they want to come in and they want to do that, like this is where freedom happens. You're welcome to do that, but nobody's going to like your shit. Like you're going to try and claim relevancy, but everyone's going to, they, they shut down. I think Pepsi actually shut down, which I didn't even know this was possible. It shut down mentions like on Twitter because people were so pissed off that like they were having this conversation with meta which is facebook right and then also with budweiser which came in and bought beer.eth for like 120 ETH. i don't know it was like a really expensive amount the analogy is that you create these brands that um kind of uh canopy any particular nft right whether it's whether it's punk or board ape um it's kind of like analogous to like a music label or uh fashion right? oh yeah this would be a yeah. perfect example of like all of the people who um it was really cool to be a part of a band following in the late 90s early 2000s before they were big right but there's a, but there's a crazy yeah. investment aspect to this which i think mm-hmm. is where people that's where people you know look at it with a combination of marvel and fear i mean you say somebody's buying something for 150 200,000 dollars it's a lot more (laughs) yeah i mean it's yeah it's ether or bitcoin or whatever but it's but it's being valued in u.s currency terms Mm -hmm. and then so, so the way the way transactions are occurring they're largely staying in cryptocurrency I would say probably like yeah, but them. I could all if let's them. say if let's say I had one of those punks and it was worth two hundred thousand, 
I could sell it to somebody and then I could cash in my cryptocurrency, whether it's Ether. Absolutely. Or... Yeah. Yeah. You sell it. For so why sale. isn't everybody Chance getting out, man? I mean, if you've got somebody that if you've got somebody that probably put five to 10 grand in and now they they're worth 500,000, why don't you just cash out? This, it's the thrill of riding it. I mean, I'm sure that people do. I mean, there's clearly like markets and even the one that you guys have been talking with me about that but like you look at Coinbase. Coinbase is a hugely traded mm -hmm. stock and they clearly yep. have good revenue and they get all of that revenue from transaction fees, right? So yep. there's only so many ways to get it back into US dollars so you can pay for your house and a car and a mortgage and all that stuff. So you transfer it to Coinbase and you transfer out in USD or whatever your local exchanges that you use. And so like, it's easy enough to do that. Why people aren't doing it probably has more to do with, you have to understand what cryptocurrency is and represents. The culture of the mindset, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where it's like, why would I go to an inflationary currency from a deflationary currency? Like the stock market's at an all time high too. Why aren't more people cashing out into US dollars? Like, you know? <laughs> And yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. sort of like, oh, maybe because there's not a lot of like trust in the US dollar right now or the euro or the pound or any of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Oh, um, wow. You know, when you can keep it on chain and if you really want to lock in value, you can swap it for a uh, dollar pegged stable coin. And when I say stable coin, I mean a coin that's pegged to the US dollar or pegged to the euro yeah. or pegged to whatever. And, and, and you've locked in gains and you can just keep it there. Matter of fact, you can keep it there and put it into a couple of farms that are going to give you 10% APY, which is higher than any bank is going to give you by a factor 20, you know, like, <laughs> so. All right. All right. I'm like, going to, Matt, when we're, when yeah. we're ending, I'm, I'm going to give you 20 grand. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be I'm, interesting. I'm, I'm it's going to be a wild I'm, ride for you. Get ready for yeah. zero or a bunch. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I do, I do not like roller coasters. I actually yeah. don't go on them. I don't like them. Well, and so why do millennials and the, what is the next generation called, by the way? I'm terrible. With post, it. post millennial. millennial. Post millennial. So millennials yeah. and post millennials, why are we so it's, attracted to it? It's alpha. It's, it's alpha. It's, we're back to A. Oh, they're starting again? Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. But so why are we so attracted to it? Why, why are we okay with YOLOing a bunch of money, even on the stock market or on crypto and, and risking it all to get I think, something? I think, you know, we, we touched on this in, in just some of our own casual conversations. Right. And you, you, you really, really poignantly, I think, uh, mentioned uh, Ecclesiastes in the Bible. I think there's a, there's a, it's not like a bitter cynicism. It's more like a, existential what the fuck um kind of thing because yeah. we live in an we live in an age of transparency and all that's done is proven to us that no institution and unfortunately very few people are worthy of trust yeah and less so now that you have this massive database that constantly reminds you about how untrustworthy people are yeah thank you internet yeah. for all of that unbridled data that you filter into my brains from my handheld device you know um, so there's never been a generation like the boomers. There's never been as big a population bubble and there's never been the wealth creation of that generation. And you have their children had a front row seat and watched 
the roadkill watch the broken marriages the <laughs> No. Yeah, and when and, you're talking about boomers, yeah. you got to talk about what country you're talking about those boomers from. True, because true. a boomer that grows up in Russia post-war versus yeah, a boomer yeah, that grows yeah. up in United States yeah. post-war. No, I'm talking different I'm lives. Yeah, yeah, like, I'm t- yeah. yeah, I'm talking America, which doesn't explain the entire uh, culture of of uh, crypto. But um, you know, when you're young, you're inherently idealistic, and you see empirically right you're taking in evidence that says well more 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 the hunger for more the quantitative equation is not the way to go because i see like my parents aren't together a house is lost uh you know something's foreclosed whatever right so they've seen they've seen the high ride they've seen the far fall and they're like don't want to do that and then the internet uh comes in and shows you that it's not just your parents, it's humanity, (laughs) you know? And then, and then you have, uh, I think it's like in your, in your lifetime already three market crashes, if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) you've got this thing where it's just, and I remember, uh, several years ago working on a project. I don't think it ever got into market, but it was a consortium of the largest mortgage lenders in the country, banks, you know, like Chase and stuff. And they, they were doing surveys, constantly getting the pulse of the market. And they, they saw evidence and then through surveys, uh, realized the next generation of home buyers were not, were not emerging. They weren't emerging. Like the millennials were mm-hmm. just like, and, and what they found in the surveys was not only were they not physically buying homes because they didn't have the money and they had you know huge college debt, mm-hmm. they didn't even see that as plausible. Like they weren't even considering it. So this consortium was basically trying to help use the tools they used to salvage really tough, tough customers out of the 2008 derivatives crash and losing their home. Um, they use some of those proactively to help raise up the next generation of home buyers. And so they were seeing something they've never seen in any generation where it's like the expectation to do something above and beyond your parents' generation that, that didn't exist with millennials. And so you could see why an alternate reality actually has a draw, has an attraction. What you have in crypto, which is really interesting, is this distinct, like <clears throat> the US and their regulatory markets still have like an impact, but you have a lot more people being like, I just I just don't care what the US says because I'm interested in global and not right. country. Like I'm interested in what the global regulations are and not the country because I can move. And there are places in the world that are crypto havens that actively incentivize people to move there because they're like, hey, we won't tax any of your crypto like currency stuff for 10 years. Now that the world has uh, agreed to a minimum 50% corporate tax, just yeah, we'll, we'll so see how that, how that plays out. So it's this inherent disinterest in politics. One, because they always lie and they basically yeah. all play for the same team, right? And so cryptocurrency is like, hey, this is free market as it gets. Like, we're not necessarily, we don't care about the US anymore. I think the US has a hard time choking that down because they're. So, it, so it's not anarchy. <laughs> it's not anarchy and it's not uh, conspiracy theory stuff. It's actually a uh, creative revolution. 
Yeah, I hope I I would think so. I mean, but it starts with finances, right? And so yeah. what we had was tokens. We had Bitcoin, we had Ethereum, we had Litecoin, all those derivatives we talked about in the podcast last week. And now when you look at the developer share, um, like if you were looking at something's market share, right? How much yeah. they control in a thing. If you look at the developer share in the cryptocurrency space, by far Ethereum has the lion's share of developers working on it. And so when you look at where all the work is being placed, those are the things that are going to have value because they are being built upon, they are being coded upon, they are yeah. creating traditional financial tools, but creating them in a way with, uh, where you replace the bank with a machine. Okay, yeah. this is a problem yeah. for a lot of countries because how do you tax a hard-coded machine? You don't. We talked a little bit about um, inevitability. Yeah. And I think with tech, this is always something you have to think about. If you create something that is truly useful, mm -hmm. then it is inevitable that adoption will come. And when it does come, where is it taking its blood from? Vampirically, you know, like yeah. you had Uber startup and it took its money from taxis. Right. right. And then you had Airbnb, which took money from hotels right. and you know, all this stuff. Right. It's it's creative destruction, right? That that um, mm -hmm. in order for something new to grow, a seed has to fall to the ground, right? It's that mm -hmm. it's biblical, right? That something has to die for something to grow, and it's kind of the cycle of life. And everybody wants the growth, but but when when you're part of the seed that has to go into the ground, that's you're not happy about that. Let me yeah, let me well, take and, a, both, and both parties go through struggles, right? Like yeah, when a yeah. when a tree drops a a. a, a an acorn to the ground, right? It doesn't yeah. mean that that tree is going to help that acorn grow. You know what I mean? No, As a matter of fact, right, it's right. going to block the shade a whole lot. And that's what we're getting about. It's hard for yeah. everyone. It's hard yeah, for the yeah. people in crypto, even the people who you see get rich. And I think I mentioned this like in the last podcast, like those people have to be so convinced um, of their own belief that that thing has value that they yeah. have to, it's not like it's every step of the way. And this is why, like, whenever you talk about, you know, how rich somebody was, the, like a real rags to riches story, and then they start getting criticism yeah. when they're on the top. I just think to myself, like, how many times did that guy have to double down where it was poverty or success and then make sure. success happen, right? Yeah. And a lot yeah. of that happens with people who hold tokens because they hold the token and you basically have to think to yourself, like, this is no longer... Like this has no more value to me. I'm holding this forever because it has utmost importance to me and I will right. never cash out. And then you right. start having people who get 2000% gains and like wild, you know, like took a thousand dollars and turned it into 3 million or whatever. Those people have to have such conviction that yeah. they're either completely just stupid and bullish, right? Or they are really, really intelligent and recognize that global economics looks completely different from country-based economics. Yeah. When when you can have somebody in a third world country who does not make a lot of money afford even one of your tokens at the same time, whereas somebody in a different country can afford many of them, it doesn't matter. They're all piling into the same pot and like that pot becomes really big, really quick. What you just said, you use the word global. That's in terms of branding crypto as a category if there was ever an interest to do that although that could be anathema to something called cryptos to actually <laughs> make it more anything? appealing yeah yeah <laughs> but that idea of it's a global monetary system versus a country-based 
a fiat currency you know that mm -hmm. it's kind of there but it hasn't really been like i don't think a lot of people see it that way they see it as something that you have to kind of look behind the curtain to figure out what the hell's going on there um as well, opposed it's, to, it's not yeah. like it's immune to it so go ahead buddy. No, 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 I was going to say it also speaks to the whole global citizen. Like, we're. Yeah, it's, which it's, is very millennial. Yeah. That's like, we're, we're past that now. We're, it's, it's, it's a global market, global world. It's no longer, you know. The idea that the stock market only trades between nine and five Eastern Standard yeah. Time to me is like just just hilarious like well, it's, horse, it's horse and buggy yeah it's horse and buggy. like archaic yeah. like and it's the same with how banks take days off like it's just so funny to me i understand why they did that in the past right because you had to define when things were going to happen right and and but there's a certain degree to where it's like uh archaic uh do it in in my mind This whole podcast was about NFT and it's becoming really crypto, but like NFT is really where we should be focusing right now because this is branding as extreme as you can get, especially with what its current iteration is with artwork. But and when I say artwork, I say more like membership because okay, people are so, buying in for the community of it. Like, so nice. are, are you able to, are you able to speak to that through the specific example of what you're doing? Sort of um, what we're like, you kind of have to be on whatever the next cutting edge uh, development is. It becomes more about like whatever the most innovative project is at the time. And okay. um, right now there was a game that launched like three weeks ago. And it's crazy. Like when you start thinking about like how that all worked, um, it was a game called, the more I talk about this, the weirder it's going to sound. So just bear with me. Like, um, <laughs> it was a game called wolf.game. And you can yeah, look up right. that website. And essentially what it was is uh, this was a game theory economics game using NFTs and ERC-20 tokens. This is with and the sheep so and the shepherd? This was the shepherd was like the lead dev. Yeah. And then you would mint. Um, so to get the whole engine started, you had your gen generation zeros right where you could mint sheep or wolves there was a 10 percent chance to mint a wolf and a 90 percent chance to mint a sheep okay um then once gen zero stopped you had a, a barn that you could stake your sheep in and your wolf in and wolves collected taxes from the sheep in wool wool was the erc20 token none of this <laughs> matters i will move on from all this Essentially what it did was you had 10% of the population that had the ability to tax 90% of the population and they could tax them at a 20% rate. So if I was a sheep and I was making all of this money from wool, I had to make the choice of, am I going to pay the tax so that I can sell this wool and make some money for my investment? Or am I going to pull my sheep out of the barn? And you would then play a 50-50 game with the wolves where 50% of the chance they took everything that you had just farmed and 50% of the chance you took everything that you just farmed and avoided the tax. And so this was inherently a risk-based game. If you had a wolf, there was no real risk because you, from birth of the wolf, you were winning. And then it was sort of like this sheep, how were all of the sheep going to play? And like, it's not a huge stretch to see the metaphor here. Guys, you're following yeah, yeah. me a little bit here. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. And yeah. so like, <laughs> it then became this sort of meta commentary about what's happening in the cryptocurrency world. 
Um, and mm -hmm. whether they intended it to or not, I, it's totally you know beyond me what their intentions were. Like this is development that's happening, and they're eventually turning it into sort of like a Farmville type metaverse where it runs on wool tokens, and it's really cool stuff. Um, but uh, what it did was it was the first of its kind, and the idea that it sort of was like life is risk or taxes like yeah. and yeah. everything on this is risk or taxes and the way that it set it up was like if you paid the taxes you had to stay in like you had to keep your sheep in the barn for another 48 hours and so and then after 48 hours you could unstake so no matter what you eventually had to take this risk and wolves just got fatter and fatter you know and is this is this any is this anything somebody with a family has time to play yeah, because it's a passively earning thing. You literally you okay. stake them and you can walk away and do whatever. And like, it doesn't take a whole lot of your time. When I say it's a game, I mean the economics of it. It's gamified. Game. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, this is, it's, it's game theory. What is your risk appetite? What are you willing to do with it? Right. It was wildly it. popular. It was wildly popular. And then um, the aftermarket sales, when you start looking at how much money this one protocol made, you're now in the multi-millions. And it was literally an 8-bit, 16-bit, style nft that you would right. buy and yeah. stake and people are paying hundreds of dollars worth of gas to put it into the staking contract pull it out of the staking contract and all of this stuff then there was like liquidity pools that were being launched for the token that was being created and people were like i'm making a thousand dollars a day right now growing wool from my sheep you know i mean it was just nuts right <laughs> inevitably what ended up happening was there were flaws in the contracts people were not it's I wouldn't consider this a hack, but consider it more like they were utilizing aspects of blockchain to mint nothing but wolves, right? There was a way that you could sort of, before the transaction settled, you yeah. could make more transactions to front run it and make sure right. that you only printed wolves. So they shut it down. They shut down the contracts and they migrated it over to fixed contracts and then they did all of this stuff. <clears throat> before they did that, a bunch of people because it's all open source a bunch of other projects spawned that were yeah. basically wolf game clones with different skins on them and you know, da, 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 right most of them were broken because people cloned them right away put artwork up for it and like then they were exposed to the same vulnerabilities right so it was all this stuff but this one game that clearly was like start to finish coded by this guy or this little team spawned a multi hundreds of million dollar market um, because people identified so much with this game. They also yeah. saw that there was value to be made in it because the sheep that I bought secondary for 0.15 ETH, which was like $400, quickly became worth five ETH, which was like 20 grand, you know, like, and so, and then there was the vulnerability found you can, you know, whatever, get it. But you know, it was just stuff like that. So people saw value in it. Then you had a bunch of people making copies for, on a bunch of different chains. Like, it was really interesting how this all happened. Um, and, and so what we're doing right now is we're actually doing something that is, um, it's called the Enchanted Creatures um, game. And uh, a lot of the, the dev team is based out of Ecuador. And so something has been hit really badly by 2020 pandemic um covid was uh, equi uh the galapagos island and so we are launching tomorrow's the whitelist and then sunday is the public mint but um 
we're launching a similar wolf type game where you can stake your turtles and earn eggs and then 10% of the people make goats. Apparently goats are a really invasive species in the Galapagos, which I learned and they <laughs> eat like everything, including turtle eggs. So I sure. did not know that. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of like a portion of everything that we make is going towards, um, they're, they're partnered with the Ministry of Tourism and, um, and uh, uh, what is it, the Charles Darwin Foundation and stuff like okay. that. So right. this is going over to them. That's what we're doing, right? So that's why I described Wolf Game and that's why I described all this stuff. It's just, it's, uh, they coined the term risk to earn. Let's get back into NFTs. Let's, let's chunk right back into NFTs. There are games out there mm -hmm. that are taking in-game items and making them NFTs so that you personally as a player can use these items. The game just reads your, your address and gives you the items in the game and you can't uh -huh. use those items unless you own the token. Okay. This is amazing because there's a ton of games out there that you acquire all kinds of inventory, but you can't do anything with it. Maybe sell it in game, right? For in game currency or whatever. But imagine if you owned everything that you, that you played for in your, digital wallet and you could sell it to another individual for digital currency and turn that into real dollars. Yeah. I, I, I've been playing a game since 2017. It's called Gods Unchained. It was the first NFT game out there or game that utilized NFTs for an inventory. It's a card game like Magic the Gathering or Hearthstone, except that I own all of my own cards. It's now worth 20, like my cards some total together are worth like $25,000, $30,000. Like, and all I did was like buy into this, buy card packs from this game in 2017. And then, you know, and that's not including the airdrops that they gave me for the, the native token and, and all of that stuff. Like that's just in cards. Um, but it's a, it's a first of its kind model. And they are now partnered with TikTok to sell TikTok videos as NFTs, like moments. They're partnered with um, Disney. I think that they were trying to, they were in the fight with Nantic, I believe, for Pokemon Go, to where you could okay. own digital copies of your Pokemon. So the idea mm -hmm. that these NFTs can be utilized with other digital assets, like that's a whole nother layer. We talked about NFTs as artwork. Right. It kind of tracks around the same thing because it's an artistic thing that's being uploaded to whatever. But, yeah. you know, it, it, it's a thing that you can store in your own personal wallet that can be used in a bunch of different ways. Um, hmm. the, the, the more cutting edge stuff with NFTs is more like when they're going to be used for restaurant reservations and hotel reservations, where you can essentially buy a, a day um, that is hard coded into this NFT and essentially redeem it for an actual stay. And um, some of, of what we're doing with the Galapagos Island stuff is um, there's a profile picture mint after the game has launched that like um, a 5% rarity trade or something like that. It's a, it's a low rarity trade is actually going to be full um, travel packages to the Galapagos that you can redeem your NFT for a full travel package. That, that's interesting because we, we had talked to uh, uh, a couple of guys who had launched an olive oil, uh, very high-end olive oil um, from uh, 
a family friend's farm in uh, in Italy, and they have like 1,200-year-old olive trees. And um, that's cool. Part part of keeping the trees and the land protected is being able to, you know, have enough economy that you can keep the land, right? Yeah. And and yet distribution and all that. So it's interesting. You could do you could apply an NFT kind of uh, economic model to these 1200 year old trees. This is why the, the Enchanted Creatures Club game that we're making has value to a lot of the development team yeah. is because this then, if it's successful, yeah. you're taking an economy that has yeah. very real world conservatory value yeah. Yeah. and you're bringing money into it. And if you can, and everybody, generally is happy the game players are happy there's ways to yeah. earn money there the development team's happy because they got their cut as well and then uh, the galapagos gets well needed money for cons uh, conservation yeah. Yeah. and and it, it still brings everything out so this is kind of one of those awesome everybody wins type scenarios and if we so, can take yeah. that blueprint for that place we can apply it to other places get hired to go on to other places and, and start launching different things for them which is exciting As I'm listening to you talk and it's starting to push the fences out on, on my brain, like I'm starting mm -hmm. to think of things Sorry. I haven't thought about. Uh, no, no, in a good way, because I'm trying to get my head around this, you know, and uh, there was in 1983, Lewis Hyde wrote a book, I think I mentioned this once called The Gift Economy. And he, he looked at how uh, going way back to the origin of man, it was about uh, access versus ownership there wasn't a lot of ownership it was just you had possession of something mm -hmm. or access to something but it wasn't permanent and things things would usually go from tribe to tribe people to people clan to clan um, in an honor system and then as you get into commerce because um, he was talking about this largely in, in the idea of creativity that that um, creativity is a gift and a gift needs to not be held or possessed. It needs to be trafficked. It needs to go from one person to another to maintain the, the, uh, the attribute of, of being a gift. And he called that the gift economy. But hmm. the problem with commerce is it says, no, we own that song. You have to pay for it. Right. So it's no longer a gift now. It's property. I, I think what's interesting about it is and Tim O'Reilly has been banging this drum for over a decade. And it's really, it really points to shareholder capitalism versus what's now being called stakeholder capitalism. And the idea that instead of your only obligation is to uh, create value or profit for your shareholders, but it's, it's to create wealth that can be more broadly dispersed mm -hmm. and, and experienced. So it's the difference between wealth extraction versus wealth generation, right? Mm -hmm. And most companies under uh, shareholder capitalism, it's about wealth extraction, right? Whether it's strip mining or whether it's, it's uh, uh, increasing margins, um, mm -hmm. slave labor, third world stuff. Um, so I can, I can sell a flannel shirt for 19 bucks at Costco. Well, there's a lot of people that are living in squalid conditions making that shirt. So I can have a $19 shirt that I can uh, give the goodwill when a button falls off, right? It's lazy, mm -hmm. stupid consumerism. And, and so 
that's shareholder capitalism. And, and it's even with the workforce, it's wealth extraction, right? I'm going to use you until I don't need you, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to wring everything out, squeeze it out, and then, and then toss the pulp away. And, and that is the mentality of shareholder capitalism, whereas stakeholder capitalism is, if I can create wealth and generate wealth, and it can be shared, it's a, it's a virtuous cycle where the more wealth is created and shared, the more wealth then it generates and, it, and it's cathartic, keeps, keeps feeding on itself. And yeah. in a way, I can see that model somehow having an application in crypto. I, I really do think you are going to see um, access to the ability to be creative or the ability to spend your time on something. I think in the next 10 years is going to explode in other countries that are not just the United States yeah. or first world nation. Now imagine this level of access to an economic base being in a third world country, which has internet. And next thing you know, you're going to have like all of these people who were focused on survival getting, you know, years worth of wealth in the bank account to where they get to open up their horizons to what do I really want to accomplish in my life, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. I believe that to be sort of like a a really freeing space. Hell, I'm still trying to pursue that in in my country. And that's like sort of how a lot of us identify together is that we know that we were born into a certain amount of debt. Yeah. And we have to achieve a certain number to buy our own lives back. You know what I mean? There you go. Um, That's much a- less if you have like a family or you have like any other thing like that. I, and so- I actually, I actually love, I don't want to cut you off, but that's almost no. a great end. That little, <laughs> that little bit there. We were, you're yeah. born into a certain amount of debt and you need to get to this number to buy your life back. <laughs> And it's the same with people in, in, in other countries, even though they have like a lower cost of living, they also get paid a lot less. But when you can make 10 years of your wages launching a token, you know, and buy yourself all this freedom to, to really start to think about what you want to make, what you want your legacy to be, and all that. I think we have to do a new podcast series where we bring you on and talk about uh, forecast. And then uh, we check and see how accurate yeah forecasts are like every 12 months it would would be that would be kind of cool and i look forward to seeing just the diversity and the creation that happens just from people like getting access to this and realizing that it has value and that it'll build to something and i think it's going to be really exciting well you you are our uh crypto oracle so um, we're, we're gonna we're those gonna are keep... a thing by the way <laughs> um, okay <laughs> yeah like like a coded thing yeah it's really interesting nice, they take nice. field world data and they bring it all on right TV. well um well we gotta we gotta cut this down to an hour or nobody's ever gonna listen to it so mm-hmm. um <laughs> that's where we are man we'll just do more of these yeah. thanks for listening if you'd like to learn more or be a guest on our show please reach out podcast at bemeaningful.co.